Sweet dreams. Do we have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. Then we have a deal. I don't want to remember nothing. Nothing. You understand? And I want to be rich. You know, someone important. Like an actor. Whatever you want, Mr. Reagan. Okay. You get my body back in a power plant. Reinsert me into the Matrix. I'll get you what you want. Access codes to the Zion mainframe. No, I told you I don't know them. I can get you the man who does. Morpheus. But most of all, Surprise, asshole. I bet you never saw this coming. Did you? God, I wish I could be there. When they break you. I wish I could walk in just when it happens. So right then, you'd know it was me. You gave them Morpheus. He lied to us, Trinity. He tricked us. If you would have told us the truth, we would have told you to shove that red pill right up your ass. That is not true, Cypher. He set us free. Free. You called this free. All I do is what he tells me to do. If I got to choose between that and the Matrix, I choose the Matrix. The Matrix isn't real. I disagree, Trinity. I think the Matrix can be more real than this world. to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. I know what a TV dinner feels like. Come on, come on. Where's the fucking cavalry? Sorry to waste your time. No problem at all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. That is frightful. Dum, da dum, delightful. For the love. Hey, 
Lincoln 30 to dispatch. 8030, go ahead. Yeah, that's a wild goose chase over here at Nakatomi Plaza. Everything here is okay. Over. But nobody has me Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Dear God damn it, is a crazy! After all your posturing, all your little speeches, you're nothing but a common thief. I'm an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean. And since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. Welcome back. Wow, it's been a bit of a bit of a long time. I've definitely had a disruption here, but uh, everything that's happening in the world is even far more interesting than my crazy life. So I think I'll stay out of my personal story for today, save it for some day down the road, and I'll just try and share with you the insights that I've had a chance to experience because my life got so crazy and disrupted the last four to six weeks. First of all, the podcast today is Red Pill. I wanted to stick to the Red Pill theme. This this uh, Bruce Willis scene where, welcome to the party, pal, that image has been on my mind for more than three months. And to me, it's even more pronounced now than it even was back then. But I find that whole film a very useful analogy to what we're all experiencing now so i will get to that the other part was uh cypher cypher in matrix reloaded i love that actor he's excellent he's on the other side he's flip side he's having trouble with the red pill and what it takes and so he's betraying his his trusted friends in that in that scene But we'll get into all that red pill discussion in a little bit. But I want to share with you, I guess, first of all, I had an Internet disruption where I was living. I won't go into too much detail. I think it's just safer and more straightforward if I keep it straight. But I had Internet disruption. Most of the Internet that was being interfered with was messaging. So it was Twitter, WhatsApp, and then Telegram, Signal. And then there were specific local um, pages, just Google pages. I mean, just URLs that were being blocked as well, like translators and things. So I was surprised by that. And anyway, that ended up turning into something bigger. And that went on for four to six weeks. I had to leave that country and travel to a different country. And when I got there, they were having internet trouble as well. But anyway, in in a couple of days, I got connected and it made me appreciate. So think of two or three weeks of not being able to keep up to your normal voices and leaders and news and, and your contacts. So when I got to this like guest house on this border area, 
I appreciated the following voices so much, I can't even tell you. And uh, and I've stuck with them ever since. I'm just such a loyal follower. But um, I found them so valuable in terms of sense-making and making me feel less crazy about everything that's happening that I really, really wanted to share these these names with you. To me, there's a few different categories. The sense-making categories, I've definitely found, I've been the most loyal and I've found the most value. Uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report, I think he's way up there um, in my top, definitely two or three. And that's because not only is he being current with the news and he's extremely, he's 10 years down this road of being really sensible about I've not seen anything. But, I mean, he just never went out, out of left field. And his website is extremely well organized. His podcast is extremely well organized. So whenever you find something that he's knowledgeable about, you can find years and years and years of history. So, for example, I discovered that he had a lot of knowledge about 9-11. And then it turns out that he's got at least 10 whistleblower and kind of false flag 9-11 stories in there so he'll do he'll do an incredible amount of research and then he'll be meeting with great experts and whistleblowers in that space and very quickly you become knowledgeable and articulate in that space so that was one of them Uh, the he has documentaries of his strongest pieces he has a really strong documentary and then followed by that whole series of conversations with experts and whistleblowers and further research. But uh, one of his biggest, probably his best known documentary is how big oil took over the world. And then that was followed up by why big oil took over the world, which was followed up by why big data is taking over big oil, <laughs> you know. So he's got this whole series. So it's just incredible. I'm just so pleased. And I, at the end of the podcast here, I've got a quotation where he is essentially converting. Del Bigtree has a big moment. You know, who knows what kind of doubts Del Bigtree was having in in private, but in public, he's now invited Corbett onto his show and admitted to the whole world that Corbett is 10 years ahead of us on this research and he and what he's been talking about and the uh, knowledge base that he's built there. And so Bill, Del Bigtree take, invited him on a show and just admitted, listen, you're ahead of me on this. This doesn't seem so crazy anymore. <laughs> the world leaders are, are using the same language. Uh, so that that's going to be the closing clip. The next biggest favorite these are these are all equal in different ways, but um, the last American vagabond. He was, I believe, I'm sorry, I don't know his name. He doesn't use his own name that often, but the show is outstanding. He does a daily podcast somewhere between two and three hours, and the sense making that comes out of that is invaluable. It's incredible how sensible he is, how he can diagnose and demonstrate how the mainstream media is playing games with words and uh, waving hands and all kinds of scare tactics that's manipulating the public. So the last American Vagabond, he used to be Whitney Webb's editor, I believe. Whitney Webb was, was on that channel and she's gone off on her own, but now they come together and team up. I think it's around once a week, Whitney Webb, or maybe once every two weeks, Whitney Webb will do a series 
two or three article series. And then she'll come back to Last American Vagabond and together over two or three hours, they will hammer it out. And you can get such an incredible digestion of depth with those two because just they're, they think a little bit differently, but they're really, really nicely um, synchronous now in terms of how they feed back each other. Uh, Last American Vagabond is a daily uh, update and I find him unbelievably, incredibly invaluable. And the depth of research that Whitney Webb is doing off on her own um, and then coming back on that show, Last American Vagabond, is, uh, is such a nice combination. So between those three people, Corbett, Whitney Webb, and Last American Vagabond, I'm finding incredible value for sense making. Then there were a couple of fun ones that I don't know so well. Well, Dan Dix is in that crowd for sure. I just haven't been keeping up with Dan Dix. I've been seeing him on Twitter. I haven't been keeping up with his show, but they have all been saying that Dan is keeping up with outstanding broadcasts. So I have no doubt he's he's keeping up his caliber of work there as well. But there were a couple of fun ones. Uh, Dana Ashley, I find her really, really good. Um, she's a YouTube channel. I don't know if she's still on YouTube, but she's really incredibly rich and insightful around the spirit war and kind of the biblical tie-ins. What's her face? Her name is actually called What's Her Face on YouTube. She's so hilarious and sarcastic, but also extremely insightful. So I've really enjoyed her. Okay, a couple new entries. I'm following uh, Ernest Hancock. He has uh, he has a podcast in his community on Telegram. They're just the most knowledgeable, capable group of people. Um, Ernest Hancock, he's been out driving his own RV for 10 years, I think. He saw this thing coming a hundred miles away and he and his wife talked it over and they said, listen, when our kids are in their twenties, this is, we're in deep shit if we don't get on top of this. So he got way ahead of the game. I think it was 10 years ago, rigged up in an RV that he could podcast from. And now he's built a community. And for whatever reason, the community that follows Ernest Hancock, declare your independence. His podcast is called declare your independence. But he and his wife talked it over and they rigged up the RV and he's been driving all over the USA podcasting and building this community. And his community is unbelievably knowledgeable with anything you can imagine. So free market, um, off grid, you know, solar, um, you name it, even data IT. They're just extremely knowledgeable, knowledgeable and helpful group of people. So I can highly recommend Ernest Hancock's group. The other one that I was introduced through Ernest's group, I believe, was the Thick Red Line group, which is, to me, the by far the most effective, most peaceful approach towards neutralizing uh, the police or being too militant about all this. Um, Thick Red Line, their number one slogan is basically no victim, no crime. So they're just helping police realize that they're bullying people when they're when they're um, picking on them for no victim, no crime. So this is directly aligned with Mark Passio's natural law thinking as well. And they're just diplomatic. They're, they're just engaging. They've done it in beaches and all kinds of public parks and places to neutralize the police and see how abusive the police are being to people that aren't causing any harm to anyone else. It's really, really brilliant and uh, peaceful. Peaceful, cohesive, 
approach that they've been successful at. In terms of work ethic and productivity, I would like to give kudos to both to Jeff Berwick and Bobby Capucci. Bobby has been doing his Epstein podcast, typically on average two or three a day. He's really staying on top of that. Complete work ethic. It's just a constant stream of good information of what's happening with the Epstein case. And Jeff Berwick, I mean, he's leading edge. He's been leading edge. Again, another guy, 10 years, saw this coming, built a, a foundation and a community around helping people become aware of the financial reset. Now he's written a, and published a book. Um, he's just recently had a summit. He's just incredibly consistently professional about everything he's doing. His newsletters come out on time. All his tips have become true. And I just want to give hats off to Jeff and the community he's built. One of his communities, the Canadian one, is my one, my, one of my go-to Telegram chats. They're just really, really helpful and supportive. Again, Jeff's communities are really useful and capable, especially around IT and crypto. Now, just for fun aside, I'm not a very, a very active Twitter person, but it, it really, I did appreciate it when it was switched off for a while. So when I got back onto it, and I just want to give kudos to some of my favorites. David Whitehead, he's a, he's a Vancouver Island guy um, with Unslaved Podcast, but he's consistently tweeting sensibly. Uh, David Icke's son, Gareth, another guy, extremely sensible, good sense of humor, um, but also pointing out the ridiculousness of everything that's been going on. Roaming Millennial, she's adorable, um, nice sense of humor. She's not very scandalous politically, but completely sensible. For whatever reason, there was a group of kind of pickup artist type guys, pickup artist instructors that realized the emptiness in that path and picked up uh, E. Michael Jones' work, and now they're outstanding. They're outstanding in terms of their tweeting, and I assume their podcasts are good too. I haven't been following their podcasts. In terms of, so that, now that's kind of, I guess you can call it news, current events, sense-making. Those people, most of them. But I've got like one layer below that that I find foundational. And I would put Michael Jones firmly, squarely in that space. His work is foundational. Um, Jordan Peterson's as well. He, Jordan Peterson is back on the air now. He's collaborating with his daughter, Michaela, on her podcast. And I've just heard a recent one. But he's it's really nice to have him back. And, you know, I'm sure once he gets himself working again, he can probably heal himself just through his own work. But I found I find both of their work foundational. Um, e. Michael Jones to me is a little bit more foundational because he doesn't stay away from the Christian aspect. Peterson, because of his academic history and scientific history, I think he just goes way out of his way to stay away from religious language, and I think that that probably holds him back in some spaces. And finally, there's a brand new, this is a brand new man to me. I think he's new this year, but he's a Canadian priest in the Ottawa, Kingston area. And his name is Anthony Hannon. And he's just incredible. You'll not, you'll not find a more authentic, genuine YouTuber. And what he's saying is just so sensible that I love it. I love every time someone shares one of his, uh, one of his uh, YouTubes, but... He has decided to uh, support himself, so he's not on a diocese paycheck. 
um, I guess so that he can feel free and unpressured to speak freely. But his his superiors are on board and they're supportive. And uh, he's just a very sensible guy that they, I guess if you put Randy Hilliers in the same area, Randy Hilliers in the government and um, Anthony Hannon is nearby. And if you put those two together, you've got a really nice base for that region. I went looking, so I, Anthony reminded me of a, a priest that I have been friends with in adult life. And I went looking for him because I'm not sure he's in his seventies now. So I'm not sure how his health is. And I did a Google last night looking for him. And I think anybody who's really honest with themselves, you can't deny that now that you see a lot of the rhetoric and noise and spin that's happening out there to try and brainwash people away from the truth, when you see those search results that I had, I can't deny that there are games going on with Google and search and um, around disparaging the Catholic Church. I know that they've had some history that is tarnished, but there is no way that the Google results is reflecting. I mean, it's just crazy. They're trying to steer the population away from the Catholic Church. To me, that's super clear. I'm not... Um, e. Michael Jones has brought me back to the belief system. I have my own concerns with that. With if I think of my high school, that that alumni, and the you know neighborhood churches. I mean, it's really hit and miss if I'm gonna connect with those people. But what Michael Jones is teaching in his work is the fundamental crux of the matter. And to me, that that is that's the part that's not gonna go away. And that's the part that is really really nice to have. Um, stable footing on and that's why I love when I see Catholic priests speaking out this way it's just a nice combination of truth coming from where you'd expect it to come from now if I can just share how many different ways that Die Hard has been useful to me since this thought came to me a couple of months ago I guess first I have to admit I went back and I watched it this must have been three months ago I think it was originally published in 1988 or so so I would have been heading towards my 20s and uh, I've seen it probably 10 or 15 times in my adult life always loved it well this time I could not help but see loads and loads and loads of cultural programming in this movie so every single um, bias that that the Hollywood was wanting the population to buy into was embedded in that film so i'm not gonna that's not what this talk is about but i just want to point that out that there are so many corrupting aspects of you know the stuff that that's going into the back of your mind and you're not even aware of it i'd say if you know a husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend both go and see that movie they're seeing completely different movies if you don't talk about what you saw and what was important they're seeing completely different movies. The, um, the kids. So, the, the, I mean, the, the, the thrust of the story on this aspect is that the mother pursues her career. Okay. Which we all generally think is a good thing. But in this case, she moves away from her husband. He wasn't on board, I guess. Or, or he definitely, yeah. I mean, he had his whole career as a New York, New York beat cop. So he couldn't just pick up and go to L.A. And she's getting her kids minded by, looked like a 
Mexican help at the at the house. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the fact is that the mother is caught up in the corporate world. Okay, she's got a corporate executive office space, and she's working for, and the Japanese CEO loves her, and it's all sort of promoting the destruction of the family. I don't know how you can. There's there's even a connotation around the gay man in, in L.A. There is, I don't think the actual driver, I know he was a bit of a caricature, but I don't think that was particularly trying to be, um, make an emphasis on any specific race or category. But uh, I think what happened to that marriage was interesting and was just in the background. And then you have, well, then we can get into the, the crux of the story. So the crux of the story is you've got a husband who's an old-fashioned beat cop, okay? So he's a career guy, um, integrity, cares about his job, cares about his arrests and his numbers, seems generally to be on the up and up, uh, street smart, extremely street smart, extremely tough. Now he goes out and he, he has no interest in this corporate life, this L.A. corporate life, he just is in L.A. to visit his kids. He, that's what he wants. He wants to spend Christmas with his kids. Now, he gets picked up with a corporate limo at the airport. Okay, that's kind of nice. He's kind of amused. And the limo driver is confronting but amusing. They're, they hit it off anyway. Then he gets up into the executive floor, and it's clearly like this uh, hoity-toity corporate Christmas party. They're all you know, celebrating their greatness in this beautiful Japanese office tower. He's trying to get rid of his jet lag. So he's following a tip from the plane and he's walking around on his bare feet in his wife's uh, executive bathroom. And at this point, he sees that the Europeans that just crashed the party are psychopathic terrorists. I mean, he can kind of, he already, he knows right away that they are nothing like what they what they appear, and he's able to escape to the roof, and he becomes the ultimate spoiler. He 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 didn't care about the corporate party. He didn't care about corporate image. He didn't care about any of that, and they don't even know who he is. And now he's a spoiler. He's living rough. He's just got an undershirt on, bare feet, up on the roof. He's completely committed to being the spoiler uh, of whatever it is they're trying to do. So then now everyone else in the party has a different aspect. So his wife, his wife who's using her own maiden name for her professional career, she can see both now. She can see these guys are dangerous and she can see her husband got away and she's kind of balancing that uh, split. The Japanese CEO decides to volunteer himself as the leader and ends up getting brutally assassinated when he wouldn't go along with their ploy. Soon, one of the kind of smooth-talking business development guys, who's also a cokehead, or at least partying with coke at the party, um, decides he's going to go negotiate with the terrorists, and he ends in the same way. So it's like, and but most of the people in the party, some of them are trying to still have puncher in there, but most of them are just trying to be invisible. Just go along with the whole thing. Let these guys get everything they want, and we'll get out of here, basically. That's that's roughly the thinking. But John McClane, Bruce Willis' character, he's the only one that figures out that their plan 
is to destroy the place. Their plan is to destroy every single hostage. They're going to blow the roof to sky high. They're going to blow the building to bits, and they're going to just walk out the back door in the destruction. So he knows that they're not terrorists. They're not trying to. They're not principled in any way. They're just bank robbers, toothless thugs, planning to uh, a mini genocide at this Christmas party. And he behaves that way, start to finish. One of the funny things that I had never really noticed before, almost, I don't know, thank anyone. I don't think anyone in that party or anyone in the news media ever once congratulated uh, John McClain for what he had done. He was just a thorn in everyone's side and everyone resisted him start to finish, with the exception of the, uh, the beat cop that he became friends with over the walkie-talkie. I think that's kind of interesting, too, that uh, that there was no hero. I mean, his wife gave him a big, wet kiss, but that looked to me more like she was just happy she was saved. I, I'm not sure she was happy that he was such a pain in the ass <laughs> to the terrorists. But anyway, I guess one of the reasons that the, the story keeps coming back to me, well, one is that everybody just wants to get along. The, these handsome Swedish terrorists, you know, let's just give them everything they want. Maybe they'll, you know, get us a promotion or whatever. It was just like this kind of naive, I guess, naive thinking of trying to get along with these crazy psychopaths. Really, if you think back over the whole thing, I mean, would you want to behave any other way than than the way Bruce Willis' character behaved? You know, once you know they're genocidal, and they're just complete control freaks, and all they're out to do is better their own, themselves, and they don't mind if every single um, hostage gets destroyed in the process. Wouldn't you? I mean, isn't Bruce Willis's character wasn't that the correct method? I mean, that's how it seems to me that there was no other way to behave but complete reckless abandon. Spoiler. I mean, that to me is the only way. So then I think you know. People, there's these people that, I guess my journey, my journey here, uh, I was able to experience the craziness up close and personal like I haven't before. So when I was in Africa, I could see it all on screen, but I wasn't actually seeing terrified people following crazy rules. That, that wasn't happening. In Kenya, people were following the rules, but it was extremely rare for me to run into anybody that was afraid of anything. Well, on this trip, I could see it all. And to me, without any doubt in my mind, I don't think I saw one single soul, old or young, that had any concern about illness. To me, it's all about the rules now and being afraid of the repercussions for not following the rules. And within, so there are people that are afraid of not following the rules, and then there are people that are bending the rules, trying not to get, you know, uh, berated. And then you've got, these levels of staff that are enforcing the rules, and it's it really seems to me, and these are mostly in their 30s, it really seems to me like some of those people, they're just behaving as if they think they have a career opportunity or a bonus or incentives of some kind to be as belligerent as possible. And that's scaring their own coworkers into a compliance and it's scaring most of the customers into compliance as well so it, it to me it's like a young nazi it's like a young nazi environment um with the people that are enforcing these crazy rules there's no sense making there's absolutely no reasoning of any kind 
And then the ones that are following it blindly, they're just afraid of breaking the rule. I don't, I'm not seeing anyone worried about illness anymore. I don't, I just don't see it. And all the data and evidence, I mean, if you go on that um, Last American Vagabond, he's got oodles and oodles and oodles of data and evidence about how it's just a non-factor. Like the illness, whatever it was, eight months ago, nine months ago, it's gone. And now it's just all rules and control. That seems to be, and, and psychopathic uh, manipulations. That's all it seems to be. So imagine if someone from the Christmas party got on the radio to Bruce Willis and said, hey, come on, man, just come on down and join the party, man. You know, <laughs> it's a good time. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. These guys are going to give us promotion. We'll probably get a, get a, a executive bathroom of our own. And just come on down. Bring some business cards. Put a suit on. Maybe you'll impress somebody. You know, imagine that mentality. I mean, it's so crazy to go along further once you've seen the craziness. Then the next step. So if you've ever had a crazy psychopathic boss or a crazy psychopathic boyfriend or girlfriend, they ask you to do something crazy, like doing it is only going to get you 10 more crazy requests, right? You got to just draw the boundaries and show where the, where the crazy doesn't go any further, right? Roughly, thought Father Anthony Hannon said it, said it, really fantastic in his recent videos called Just Be Honest. I don't know if it was recent. It was recent to me. Just Be Honest. He said the biggest problem we're having now, and because there's all kinds of authorities, um, big and small, that have gone along with this thing. And most people just went on faith. They're getting notices from city, getting notices from media, getting notices from uh, corporations. They just went on faith that this thing has something real to it. Well, now the biggest problem is just admit oh, you were duped, you were fooled, you went along with a f with something that was a lark. Okay, fine, enough. How hard is that to admit? I mean, that's way better than doing the next ten crazy things that are coming, right? I mean, just have a laugh. Uh, I, I fucked up. They fooled me. Oh well, <laughs> you know, and no one's gonna be hold it against you. I mean, who? How could? Most people, how could you possibly comprehend the level of diabolical planning and control that went into this thing? No one is going to ever judge you for that. Just go, oh, I fucked up. It's a, it's a lark. Oh, well, let's go back to living free, you know, and quietly live free. Uh, disobey. To me, that's, that's the obvious uh, outcome. So please hang in there. I've, I really like this talk James Corbett does. Um, on Del Bigtree's show, they, they both shared this podcast on, on each other's show. And I thought it was really big of Del Bigtree. He was, he was kind of gutted, you know, just admitting that there's this whole domain of knowledge that he's been blocking out all this time that seems, that is clearly relevant now. And that James Corbett is 10 year advanced on his expertise in the matter. I just thought it was outstanding. So please uh, stay tuned in, enjoy it. Nice to be back. Um, I'll make the next uh, appearance not so not so long. I've got a commitment. I, I, I've finished first part one of Logos Rising, and I'm doing. I've started the book review for part one of Logos Rising. So stay tuned into that. That should be done within the next five or six days. All right, enjoy.
McDougal, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising. Well, thank you for having me here to talk about an extremely important subject. And let me just say welcome to the club, because I think we're all conspiracy theorists now. Now that the conspiracy theory that the uh, the media has been attempting to gaslight us about over the past few months, oh, there's no such thing as a great reset, is clearly being shoved in our face by the very same leaders that they're saying are totally not in, involved in any sort of plot. So I think everyone is seeing that we are being gaslit about this subject and that there is something that we need to delve into here. Now, before we ever even start into this conversation, I feel like there was a, a concerted effort to make conversations about an idea where like there was a, a singular leading leading body in the world that the the borders of nations would come down and there would be some sort of, you know, new world order or any idea like that. You were, you know, just a year ago, it seems like we would be made fun of for bringing that up. And so when I start seeing guys like Trudeau saying, you know, great reset and and, and talking about this sort of blending of economies around the world and a new way of doing things, just Am I wrong? Wasn't this sort of um, a third rail topic publicly until recently? It absolutely was. And I can say that with some degree of experience because I've been talking about this in one form or another for 13 years now. And of course, have long been dismissed as a crazy conspiracy theorist. Um, now the crazy is being removed from that appellation because as I say, it is now coming out in the open. And if people examine my work on this subject, specifically a podcast that I did recently called Your Guide to the Great Reset, that's at corbettreport.com slash great reset, uh, they will see that uh, is this out in the open and being acknowledged, but it corresponds in every key detail to the so-called New World Order conspiracy theory that's been floating around for decades about some sort of attempt to move us into a global governmental system. Well, now it's out in the open and they're referring to it as the Great Reset. And we don't have to take, we don't have to speculate on that in really any uh, sense because they are openly talking and writing about it, including Klaus Schwab, the executive director of the World Economic Forum, who has written an entire book on this subject that somehow he managed to slap together in the first few months of this pandemic crisis, so-called. Uh, he managed to come out with an entire book outlining all of this. And I think the key uh, to understanding this actually comes from that Trudeau clip that you played, because notice what he said. He said, the pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like uh, equality, poverty, etc. Pre-pandemic plans, of course, this is not something that ha really has anything whatsoever to do with a virus. In whatever way you understand the, the narrative of COVID-19, this right. doesn't really have to do with that. This is a pre-pandemic uh, plan that was in place looking for a good excuse to launch it upon the world. Well, here is that excuse. And it is actually a particularly uh, important excuse is it, it works on a number of levels, one of which comes directly from Klaus Schwab's Great Reset book, where he says, the spread of infectious diseases has a unique ability to fuel fear, anxiety, and mass hysteria. In so doing, as we have seen, it also challenges our social cohesion and collective capacity to manage a crisis. Epidemics are by nature divisive and traumatizing. And if you go on in that passage, he talks about families, friends, and neighbors being pitted against each other and looking for some sort of solution. Well, don't worry, the World Economic Forum and their cronies have the solution for you, and they're calling it the Great Reset. 
I think that the World Economic Forum is, and Klaus Schwab in particular, are positioning themselves to be the, uh, the central uh, organizing body for this group of concepts that are being uh, sold to the public under this great uh, reset title. But that doesn't mean, I think, that they are pulling all the strings. This isn't the sort of conspiracy that people like to deride when they talk about conspiracy theories of uh, a bunch of men in a smoky, shadowy room making secretive plans. I think this is, again, this is out in the open and it's because the convergence of a lot of different people who hold the same ideology essentially are agreeing on the, the main aspects of the way to better consolidate global control over the economy and thus the people of the world. And again, I think this COVID-19 crisis is just the perfect cover for that. There's a video that um, I've seen from the World Economic Forum of Klaus Schwab. Let's play that really quickly and take a look at this. It is obvious that we are in the midst of the most severe crisis the world has experienced since World War II. 75 years ago, countries and people came together to shape the post-war global order which brought us decades of peace, increased global cooperation and prosperity to hundreds of millions of people around the world. The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion and equality. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system for the need for the post-corona era. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to, an, to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract, particularly integrating the next generation. We can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. In short, we need a great reset. I mean, that guy, when you see a video like that, it, it, it really is like a character out of James Bond, as, as I, I know you've referenced. I mean, you can't make this up. I, I think about, let me tell you what I'm grappling with. I'm, I'm grappling with my own family members right now, right? I have family and friends. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I was an environmentalist. I believe in clean air and, and food and water. It's what puts me in this position right now. Yet I hear these buzzwords that are being used in this reset, right? You know, sort of you know, all working together, coming together for, you know, equality and balance in ecosystems and in business, a new way forward. Yet now the tone of that, I don't think could be better, you know, um, exemplified by Klaus Schwab. When I listen to him, I'm like, those sound like really pretty words, but there's something terrifying about hearing it from this guy. But what is the disconnect? Why is it I have no longer feel safe for the concept of being an environmentalist when I'm looking at the world agenda around this? How are they manipulating? Are they manipulating it? Or am I just, have I just lost my way? 
I, I think they are manipulating this, and we can see this from a number of different vectors, and you are not alone in that. I think there are a great many number of people out there who are similarly interested in saving and preserving the environment and, and, and uh, all of these things. We know that we are part of an ecosystem and we have to be responsible for protecting it, etc. And I think that impulse is what is played on when they start launching this type of spiel about equality, sustainability, inclusiveness. These are the buzzwords that they are using to sell an agenda to us. And one way to grap grapple with that idea of how these words can be used to sell uh, ideas that are in fact harmful to us is to look at a word like equality. Again, I think most people uh, feel uncomfortable with the idea of some people having uh, billions and billions of dollars in their bank account and other people literally starving in the gutter. Uh, it would be better if if we could have a more uh, e uh, equal society in, in terms of the distribution of wealth so, so people aren't literally starving to death while others have more money than they could possibly use in their lifetime. But there are many different ways to achieve that sort of equality and one of which would would be simply to make all of the peasants, essentially neo-peasants on the neo-feudal plantation, you're all equally poor uh, under the eyes of this system. That would be one way to achieve uh, equality. So just the word equality itself does not necessarily mean this is going to be some sort of utopia or nirvana. We have to understand what it is they are actually proposing. And when you start to pick that apart and you start to get at the underlying message of what they're pushing here, you start to get at concepts like the fourth industrial revolution and how technology is going to be used to get us to uh, a new economic system. And once you start to understand the implications of that, for example, the implication that everyone will be closely surveilled at all times uh, electronically and at a distance and all of their transactions will be monitored and run through a central bank digital currency which will be monitoring everything that you are doing at all times. Of course, all of this data is necessary for Oh, keeping us safe from disease, say, which is, of course, the way it will be sold to us. And one example of that is a particularly interesting and telling article that was published in the Financial Times this past March that I thought uh, encapsulated this idea quite well. It's by Yuval Noah Harari, and it's called The World After Coronavirus. And he lays it out on the table there, what this type of fourth industrial uh, revolution technology means and what it entails, including under the skin surveillance. So he writes that one of the problems we face in working out where we stand on surveillance is that none of us know exactly how we are being surveilled and what the coming years might bring. Sur surveillance technology is developing at breakneck speed and what seemed science fiction 10 years ago is today old news. Uh, as a thought experiment, consider a hypothetical government that demands that every citizen wears a biometric bracelet that monitors body temperature and heart rate 24 hours a day. The resulting data is hoarded and analyzed by government algorithm. The okay. algorithms will know that you are sick even before you know it, and they will also know where you've been and who you have met. The chains of infection could be drastically shortened and even cut altogether. Such a system could arguably stop the epidemic in its tracks within days. Sounds wonderful, right? Biometric monitoring would make Cambridge Analytica's data hacking tactics look like something from the Stone Age. Imagine North Korea in 2030, when every citizen has to wear a biometric bracelet 24 hours a day. If you listen to a speech by the great leader and the bracelet picks up the telltale signs of anger, you are done for.
this yeah. article just starts to broach some of the issues of what we're dealing with here, a complete Orwellian system of total monitoring of not just your speech, not just things that you are saying, but ultimately things that you are literally feeling, your blood pressure, your, your heart rate, your all these telltale signs of, of emotion or, or what you're thinking. And of course, a lot of this will be quackery, but that doesn't matter. They will say, oh, there is a science behind this and we can tell that you were thinking about doing something naughty. So we are going to come on with the pre-crime police and make right, sure like that you don't do report, that. Right, minority report, right? I mean, I think about that. Exactly Just imagine right. everyone wearing a Fitbit if your Fitbit was suddenly connected to the, the government uh, and the police department, how much they know about you, where you're at, what you're emotionally going through. You know, I mean, it's really that article is really terrifying um, and it would seem crazy, except let me bring up and, and, and we, you know, my producers went through, you know, the incredible piece. We're not going to take a whole hour to, to get on it. So everyone should definitely go to the Corbett Report and check it out. But let me bring up from COVID-19, The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. If no one power can enforce order, our world will suffer from a global order deficit. Unless individual nations and international organizations succeed in finding solutions to better collaborate at the global level, we risk entering an age of entropy.
What's the matter? You dissentious rogues that rubbing the poor itch of your opinion make yourselves scabs. We have ever your good word. He that will give good words to thee will flatter beneath abhorring. What would you have, you curs, that like nor peace nor war? The one affrights you, the other makes you proud. He that trusts to you where he should find you lions finds you hares, where foxes, geese. Who deserves greatness? Deserves your hate? Hang ye. Trust ye. With every minute you do change your mind and call him noble that was now your hate, him vile that was your garland. What's the matter? That in these several places of the city you cry against the noble senate who, under the gods, keep you in awe, which else would feed on one another. Go. Get you home. You fragments. <laughs>